0: Welcome back to the Granite Zero podcast. Before we kick this podcast up, a big shout out to the sponsor of the show, Kent CBD. Now, by now, we're 132 episodes in. So you know that I love, trust, and will sell down to my core. CBD. Now, CBD is scientifically proven to help with mental health issues from depression, anxiety, PTSD, sleeping disorders, eating disorders, the list goes on and on. But not only that, it also helps with aches and pains in your muscles, joints, ligaments, etc, etc. And what do I use? I use Kent CBD. And what I'm going to do for you guys, because I'm nice, I'm going to give you 10% off. Once you get to the basket and it says, put in a promo code, put in GRANITE0, all one word, Granite Zero, get 10% off. You are welcome. Now, today is the birthday episode of the Granite Zero podcast. We are three years old. And what I like to do for the podcast is this, give you guys a special treat and a special guest. For me, he is military royalty. For you, you'll know him as the guy with no gloves. This man was the team leader for Blue Team going into the Iranian embassy in 1980. The one and only Rusty Furman. So please enjoy this episode. Listen, love, share, whatever you guys do. But I am privileged and honoured to have this guy on. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to the Granite Zero podcast, Rusty Furman. Again, Rusty. Welcome to the Grand Zero Podcast. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Well, thanks for the invite. Um Third time lucky, is it?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think it, I think it's third or maybe even the fourth. But we've got there in the end. We've got there.
1: Maybe fourth,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. So it's again. awesome. Well, before we um. Oh, now, of course, it, it's my end now. <laughs> um, yeah, before we kick off, I just want to pick your brain a little bit, actually, on the current situation that's going on in over the Eastern Europe and Ukraine.
1: Yeah, well, it's a long story, mate. If you want my version, it, it would take up an, an hour. <laughs> you know, I, I've got a totally different view than an awful lot of people. And the mainstream media are just putting a one-sided... News across, you know, there's two sides to this, but they're quite happy to put one side across and get all the sheeple, as I call them, to follow their news.
0: Yeah, yeah. In I, my I, opinion. I agree with that actually. In it my
1: opinion. Good. Say again.
0: I said I I actually agree with that because you tend to it it, it was the same during the pandemic as well. It was all one side <laughs> scaremongering.
1: There's no <laughs> you can ask me whatever you want about that, but I don't even believe it was one, okay? Not at all. And I still don't. I won't wear a mask. And I've not had injections. That's it. And I'm 72.
0: Fighting strong, fighting strong.
1: (laughs) Now I started my life out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and another note before we kick off. Are you going to be supporting the red side of Manchester today in the Manchester derby? Seeing as we could do you a favour.
1: I am, Yes. Yeah, big time.
0: <laughs> That's a tough one. That's a tough one for Liverpool fans to, to swallow.
1: Yeah. Well, we are where well, we are, mate. We could do the favour. We'll yeah. see.
0: I have to admit, I have to admit, I've said it to quite a few a few of my, my pals, even my father-in-law, uh, Liverpool fans. And as much as it kills me to say, being a United fan, it's actually a joy to watch Liverpool play football. The way they play football, the way Klopp has got you guys going.
1: Yeah. No. No. It, it's taken them a while, but he's got it right. Yeah. Um, and Manchester United have to go back and start again, really.
0: Yeah, we, we have.
1: Because they had it going for them for those years, and then it's...
0: Yep. Yeah, it's just gone gone down the pan. Well the the funny the funny thing is, Rusty, as well. My um my old man was telling me he used to play in the regiment side with you. He was the goalkeeper. Back w- way back in the way back in the day. Tommy Thompson.
1: Oh in the commandos.
0: Uh no, he was uh he was the jump instructor down at down at the camp in Hereford. Oh, was he? Yeah.
1: Oh I, no! I know what you mean. I know yeah. you mean. Sorry, yeah. But there was yeah. one who played when I was in two nine as well.
0: Ah, got ya, got ya, yeah. So common common just, name.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, because I because I mentioned that I was having you on the on the show, and he went, "Oh, I know, Rusty. I, I used to play football with him at the for the regiment." I was like,
1: "Small yeah.
0: world, small world."
1: Yeah, but I used to be captain of the side actually.
0: The "Must have been a good team." Must have been a good team, but, but I think we should get down into the nitty it gritty. World. It is a small world, definitely. But I think we're going to have to get into the nitty gritty. So, what what originally sort of um, got you interested in joining the military?
1: Um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have an interest in joining the military, none oh, at all. Really? I was forced into the army by my father, who reckoned I was going downhill very quickly. So as a 15 year old, he took me to the recruiting office in Carlisle. I sat an exam and I wasn't very good at school. I spent more time in the corridor in those days than I did in the classroom. And all I wanted to do was be a sports person. I just wanted to play football. I was five foot two, seven stone. And he took me down there to the recruiting office, the physical side of it. Um, I flew through that with flying colors. That's how you used to do it. You uh, a physical side, yeah,
0: yeah, and then you had
1: um, then you had the written written type um, papers to do when I thought that was that, however, <laughs> don't ask me how I ended up in the junior leaders regiment royal Artillery in down in um, Bramcote, and Eaton in Warwickshire, yeah, 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 yeah. as a fifteen year old so I don't know how that happened, but that's how it happened.,
0: well, yeah. so was it like a would they have had to have gone through like a Parental permission slip as you, as you were 15, or were they recruiting at 15-year-olds then? That's mad. Now,
1: it, you know, years. in those days, it, was, it, it ended up very good. Um, yeah. But, you know, the first three months there, I was just unhappy. I didn't like the discipline. I didn't like anything to do with any of that. So um, I would have bought myself out of the army
0: yeah.
1: um, after three months when I went home on my first leave. <coughs> But I couldn't, and nobody would give me fifty pounds to buy myself out. That's what it was going to cost. Fifty quid. 19, 50 quid. Jeez, couldn't get my hands on it. But I went back. Come I went back. I started going into the football side of because. Um, Somebody spotted, and they asked me to come and join the regimental football team, for, you know, for, uh, come training with them. which is the junior leaders. Um, and I thought, great. Uh, it changed my attitude because okay. all of a sudden, I was playing football and getting paid yeah. um, by the Army. And that yeah. was the start of my football career. I eventually ended up playing for the British Army and BAOR. So represented represented the highest... Um, level, if you like, or semi-pro, whatever you want to call it. Um, I got there, and it was there while I was in the army that I did that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's amazing what sort of sports people come through in, in the military. Like, for example, my dad is a good example of that. He, he used to play over at Doncaster before he joined the Air Force at 17. And uh, the same thing, he was like, well, I either play Doncaster and not get paid very much, or I join the Air Force get paid, but still play
1: football. Yeah. It, to, some, sometimes it was four and five times a week. Sometimes I used to play in the morning and then play in the afternoon for another team. It was, <laughs> you know, a tracksuit track soldier. Tractor, was I was it. about to say
0: tracksuit soldier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A, yeah.
0: Uh, uh, to be fair. that 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 is one thing that I wish I'd uh, pursued a bit more. Being a, Similar to yourself, being a being a sports person myself, that's what I wanted to do while I was in. I was like, I could play all these different sports. I managed to play rugby for for the station and, and things like that, and boxing for the Air Force. But because of the theatres that we were in at the time, Iraq and Afghanistan, we had such a large turnaround that didn't really have much time to get into the sports because it was like straight away you're you're on pre deployment. It's like brilliant.
1: My my day was totally different, you know. um, It wasn't that sort of stuff going on. Um, They give you a lot of time to play sport, Um, you know, keep yourself fit. Um, And I played all sorts of sports. In the end, I played rugby, football, cricket, basketball, boxing, all of it. Yeah. And that was uh, over my time, and it was nice to be paid. to
0: Yeah, of course, definitely, definitely. So, what sort of interested you in in joining the regiment, and what what how did that come about?
1: Well, I've always been fed. Yeah, um, all the way through my career in the army, and. You know, after I left boys' service, I went into what was 4-9 Field Regiment, which is a northern-based um, regiment, artillery, and spent a few years there where it was, you know, playing for the gunners, playing for the... Everything around it was football, football, football. You yeah, had yeah. to do a little bit of work. But <laughs> once that, I got to a point when I was in Germany where... Um, it says being the fittest alcoholic in Germany So Yeah um, And then I thought I've had enough of Germany yeah. So I volunteered for the commandos And I ended up going on the commando course You know, got my green berry down at Limston uh, The home of the Royal Marines Spent a few years In 2-9 commando down in Plymouth On training wing, keeping myself fit but then I, I was getting itchy feet after every three, four years, wanting to do something different. I yeah. met some of my mates who had just gone on selection three months before I met them. Um, and two of them had already passed and they said, come and join us. And I was in Plymouth at the time. I said, come up for the weekend, it was a bank holiday. So I went up to Hereford with them in the car, went on the piss all weekend, um, got to know people, loved it you know, they had long hair and desert boots, yeah. all that type of stuff. I thought, this is more like me. So I went back to the 2 Commando after that weekend uh, and put my papers in to say, I want to go um, and do SAS selection. With that, they took my papers because it's voluntary. They can't make you do it. Yeah, yeah. And they can't really stop you doing it either. So, and I told them why, and with that, 1977. I did SAS selection and passed it first time, which was the hottest summer ever on record when I did my selection. It was hot. Yeah, I bet. And it still is to this day the hottest summer, really hot.
0: Yeah, that must have been because obviously it's it. Well, <laughs> trying to get people to realise how hard it is anyway. Like the amount of people that I've had say, oh, well, I've seen. tv show it can't be that hard i went whoa stop you there that's a tv show you know there's loads more yeah
1: there's there's no resemblance
0: yeah there's loads more no
1: resemblance whatsoever
0: to do to do with it and like even just going up the beacons with a bit of kit on is hard enough let alone in blistering heat that must have been horrendous
1: it was hot and it was but it was enjoyable once you passed after the sixth month of grueling day in, day out, day in, day out. Yeah. All weather's um and you just have to put it to the back of your mind somewhere and just put your head down and think, I don't want to fail this, otherwise I might have to come back and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so every day was um, for six months, it was like how am I doing? Because nobody would tell you how you were doing.
0: Yeah. I, you I've get heard, back off something and you
1: find that yeah, you'd find that come back off one of the tests, and you'll find that another 10 guys have been taken off and sent back to their unit. And you just didn't know. Nobody give you yeah. a time. You just had to do it as quickly as you could with as much weight as they, you know, they they um weigh weigh all your kit in between somewhere, they'll stop you and if you if you've been cheating, you're off straight yeah, away. Yeah. Everything was watched for six months. Everything. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's it was a, pretty grueling,
0: unreal as well. And you have to you have to fit as well, don't you? As in, in with the members of the regiment, like personality-wise as well. Is that is that right?
1: Because I've heard um, that you could
0: get all the way to I've, the end and then still be binned.
1: Um, yeah, that, that happens as well. In personality clashes, as they call it. A bit unfair, really. Um, but an individual is an individual. Yeah. And the best thing to do, my advice would, get your head down, do what you've got to do. Don't bother upsetting anybody if you can help it. Keep your mouth shut and get on with it. After you pass, you can go and do what you want. It's as simple as that. And that's exactly what I did. You know, um, bad personality clashes while I've been there afterwards. But once I was there, yeah, you've been watched all the time. Make no mistake.
0: Yeah, yeah. Constantly on watch, and constantly, it, it's a bit of a a mind fuck, you could say, because you're constantly thinking, Have I done something wrong here? Have I? Missed out by a couple of minutes, have I done this? And you're like, shit. It must be a relief though, getting to the end of each day going, ah, I did all right on that one.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I mean, it's voluntary. You know, don't volunteer if you're not gonna go for it. It's not worth
0: it.
1: You know, it's voluntary. Nobody can make you do it, but they can certainly take you off and say, you're not up to the mark and off you go back to your unit. We yeah. call it RTU, return to unit. Yeah, and that's been done. I've witnessed that lots and lots of times. And I did fifteen years. There. So I've seen a lot.
0: Yeah, definitely must have done. Must have done. So, so the big, the big thing I think that every every listener has been waiting for me to talk to you about is obviously the embassy. What, what, what was it like getting that that Call to, to go, as it were, the, the, the call coming in saying you guys are going in. It must well, be buzzing.
1: We've been there six days. Yeah. You know, we got there on the 30th of April. So, and and the actual resolution was carried out on the 5th of May, 1980. And we've been sat around watching Snooker. Cliff Thorburn was playing Alex Higgins next door in the final <laughs> of the Embassy World Championship. Um and up until then, all the negotiators were going okay, you know. Um, so there wasn't a great deal of problem there. Um and Max Vernon, the head negotiator, did a brilliant job by getting us six days to plan and prepare. Everything we were ready to do was the mission, even to this day, never changed. The mission was to rescue the hostages. That's it. So everybody was well aware of that. Nobody tells you how to do it. The mission is to rescue the hostages. We were sat next door and in the Royal College um, of General Practitioners. That was number 1415 um, Princess Gate. Um, and <coughs> once there was proof of murder um mrs thatcher she was the prime minister in those days once proof of murder that changed everything because a lot of people to this day don't realize that the whole operation was a police met police operation yeah supported by the sas and it still was at that moment in time it was only when um it was only when The press attache was thrown out, having been executed, shot three times, thrown out the front door. That was proof of murder on UK soil.
0: Yeah.
1: And within minutes, Mrs. Thatcher and the powers-to-be got the police to hand over control of the um, operation to uh, the colonel of the regiment, um, Mike. So it became a military operation because proof of murder. So all of a sudden, it was handed over to us. The police were then sort of supporting us. We did what we had to do. And then we had the magic words in my book behind me, go, go, go. That was only after it took us 16 minutes to get into position covertly. Yeah. We didn't want to be compromised. Then we got, when everything was ready, go, 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 in we went. The mission, back of your mind, to rescue the hostages. 56 floors on six levels, and we cleared the lot in 11 minutes and accounted for everybody. Uh, And in that time, five of the terrorists died. One got out, but the hostages were rescued, and that was the mission. Yeah. So, and it took 11 minutes to do that. So, it was quite a feat in its own having oh, yeah, had done definitely. that, you know, um, but we carried out the mission and that was that's why, to this day, it's looked back on one of the great hostage rescues, which I was lucky enough to be a team leader on Blue Team, um, as a Lance Corporal, I might add, um, all those years ago.
0: Yeah. But it also shows how adaptable and capable the SAS are and why why the elites practice 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 for that reason
1: well we've got the seven p's prior planning preparation prevent piss poor performance okay there's the seven p's the two words i use are the guys themselves are adaptable and flexible they're adaptable and flexible, which means if something goes wrong with the plan, as it did on our day, yeah, yeah. guys use this to change it, to make sure that the mission is going to be achieved. And the two words I use is adaptability and flexibility. Yeah. And most of the guys have got that in abundance. And that's what makes the plan work in the end.
0: Yeah. And it just shows how how, you you keep using the word capable but capable that you guys are in well it took 11 minutes in an adrenaline fueled clearance of a massive building but also still to have the 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 knowledge upstairs to go that's hostage that's terrorist rooms clear etc it's just again it's just a hell of a feat like you said for
1: The plan was quite, you know, it was, what you have to do is keep a plan simple. And that's where we get the, uh, what do you call it? KISS, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) You know, don't complicate anything. Don't complicate it. Keep it simple. And our plan was simple. Enter the buildings, all levels, at the same time, simultaneously, and go through the building with your mission in the back of your head. What? You know, and as things change, That's how you change, because you're adaptability and flexible. And make no mistake, that happened on the day. Um, And the 11 minutes, considering there was two teams, red team and blue team, um, entering from all different levels. But in the back of your mind, once you got into that building, you could hear the flashbangs going off. You could hear people screaming, trying to get out the building. There's smoke in the air. There's gas in the air, because we used gas inside... There's gunfire and all of that with people trying to get down the stairs and identifying them as they come down the stairs and making sure you're passing them one to another, looking who's who's a terrorist, is this, you know. That side of it, the 11 minutes, I remember, went
0: like that. It must have yeah, flown yeah. by.
1: Yeah, it did. Because But with all the background stuff going on... Yeah you know and you don't know where it is exactly because you've got the six levels including the roof and the basement it's um you know and you trust in your own guys um that they're very capable with weapon handling and stuff and that's exactly what happened um everybody did the job and everybody apart from five terrorists came out yeah so job done
0: job done and if I'm not mistaken, there was one that tried to get out, wasn't there, with the covering his face, trying to trying to escape through the uh, with all the hostages. That the IDing and the, the recollection of who you're looking for as well. Cause that 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 was incredible. So obviously, like you said, you're passing them down, you're checking all the hostages to make sure they're not sneaking out. And obviously one tried to sneak out.
1: We don't, because everything, you know, there's people slipping on the glass that had broken yeah. from the skylight that had come through, picking them up, helping them, passing on to somebody else. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, it, it was a second in command of the terrorists. Um, we found out later. Um, but when he came to me and I spun him around and identified him and saw the grenade, that's when I shot him.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and he fell to the bottom of the stairs. But, you know... It was just, you know, the grenade in itself is a threat and a danger. Yeah. Of yeah. You know, it's, it's a weapon and could do serious damage. I wasn't bothered whether it had a pin in or pin out. All I noticed was his face, spun him around on the stairs and fired at him. And he fell to the bottom of the stairs. That's so that,
0: that, that must have been one of those heart skips a beat sort of moments when you've noticed that he's got the grenade in his hand. But obviously, yeah. tra- training kicks in. Bosh.
1: Then again, I missed a bit.
0: I was just saying, it, it must have been the, the heart-skips-a-beat sort of moment when he's turned around, he's got the grenade, but then the training kicks in.
1: Well, the, the, the fact is that there was people around him as well, including our guys at the bottom yeah, of the stairs yeah. and stuff. But you've got to make split decisions. That's, that's, what, that's why they're quite successful, the SAS, They're capable of making decisions, and not asking, Sarge, can I do this? You know, yeah. they don't do that. It's in here. It's drilled into them, and that's exactly what it did. It took a split second. That was it.
0: It's just crazy to think that. Well, also a big prop because she gets a lot of shit. Old Thatcher as well. She gets a lot of shit, but the the yeah. fact that she wanted to see what the British do when there's a terrorist on home soil, and she sends you boys in.
1: He wanted to show the world how we dealt with terrorists. And that came from her own mouth, because initially the whole of that building at the front was gonna be smoked off to the TV screens, uh, to the TV um, cameras. That was the plan, that was in the plan. And when I came out of the building in the end, after the 11 minutes and saw it on TV, I thought it was a mistake. I thought somebody hadn't done the job, but in fact, it was Mrs. Thatcher said, we're not gonna smoke it off. Yeah. We're gonna let the cameras roll and show the world how we deal with terrorists. What a brave decision.
0: That is a brave you decision. You, yeah. you
1: wouldn't get that these days of what we've got in power now, mate. Not no, at all.
0: definitely not. Definitely um, not.
1: Great decision. I didn't know, and I was, a team, I was one of the team leaders. I didn't know. When we went in, smoke it off, that was the plan. Yeah. Somewhere when we were getting into position, somebody changed that. Uh, it came from the prime minister.
0: Yeah. Because obviously, special forces is very, um, well, hidden, you might say, very sneaky, very hidden. So, to, ser- to show, it was like the first involvement that anyone's ever really seen of, yeah. what, of what the SAS can do. And it was, well, well 11 minutes. It's, <laughs> it's,
1: uh, <laughs> It certainly raised the, the, the profile of the regiment. Definitely. Um, because the old camp, when I got there, you could walk through from one side of the camp to the other um, and catch a bus. After 1980, the whole camp was rebuilt. Security. Yeah. Top, top notch. Everything changed. And, of course, the rest of the world wanted to be trained by the SAS. I made mean, no mistake, our training teams when they go abroad, and I've done quite a few of them, um, that's big money for the government. Oh, definitely. They get paid a lot to send a training team from the SAS to um, Sri Lanka, um, in Nigeria, you know, Nepal. To name but a few, I've been to. But that was done within eleven minutes. If you think <laughs> back on it. Yeah. 11 minutes changed the whole thing. The whole thing was changed. And from then to now, it changed dramatically.
0: Definitely. Definitely. And one thing I just want to quickly touch on, because obviously you've got um on your screen and the far right, you've got the uh, the other, that says go, go, go as well. Uh, but obviously the, the movie, Six Days, on Netflix. Uh, yeah. Were you directly involved with that? Because I have to admit, it was spot on. Like everything. I
1: was. I was in was technical advice on it from day one. When they came across here from New Zealand, it was New Zealand Film Corporation that did Six Days on yeah. Netflix. And I met the screenwriter. I met the producer, Andrew, first of all. He'd read the book and he said, we can make a, a film of this. Well, I was delighted after all those years. Yeah, yeah. And I was just proud to have been involved with the book with... Um, Back in 2010, that was the 30th anniversary of the siege. The book was due to come out for that. And Will Pearson, um, who was on the book, actually got it out in time. So they read the book. They came to me uh, because they wanted a certain story. I was a guy with no gloves, as everybody knows. Um, that's another story. Um, <laughs> and. When they came over to here, I took, I met Matthew. Then he said, I'm going to put the screen to, uh, screenwriter in touch with you, Glenn Standarin. Again, another New Zealander. So he came over and I took him to Hereford and I sneaked him around some of the establishments and I'd let him see from the outside where the old camp was, where the old Killing House was, give yeah, him yeah. some sort of feel. Then I got him to, I introduced him to a number of the guys. Um, so he could get individual stories off them. They've got my story, it was in the book. Yeah. However, I give them the story as well. But the other guys met in a pub, and over the five days, he made all his notes and went back uh, to New Zealand. And when he got back and wrote the script, and they sent me the script to have a look at. I didn't want any love stories. I didn't want I didn't want Hollywood. And that was the that was the real thing I didn't want. So Glenn went back, wrote the script. i seen the script. I didn't have any issues with the script. What do I know about scripts? But I didn't <laughs> yeah. have any issues. Yeah. No issues. Then, then the producer came across. I went to meet him, and I became technical advisor um, to the film. Um, I taught, met Jamie Bell, um, who became Rusty Furman. Um, so I give him a book, The Regiment, to read. He read that. Um, because this was done in New Zealand, by the way. The first part of the yeah, film yeah. was done in New Zealand. So we all went across there, and that's where the set was. Only after they finished over there, because everything was New Zealand. They're a bit more grown up than the UK are, let's just say that.
0: Okay, got you. <laughs> we
1: across, yeah, we went across there, and they built the set. And I was with Jamie Bell to start with. Then I had some of the actors and stuntmen, because they were doing the room combat and stuff. I taught them, I taught them shooting techniques that we used uh, back in the day, got the right weapons, everything else. I got Jamie, I taught Jamie how to shoot, um, you know, not live, obviously, it was all blank. Oh, but yeah. um, I taught him, and I was having a bit of frustration with Jamie. I, I helped pick him, by the way, um, to, to be the person who played me. I was asked about him, what do you think? I said, yeah. He's a northerner. I was a northerner. He yeah. was 30 when he did the filming. I was 30 when I did the siege. He's working class. I was working class. Yeah. You know, he's a bit smaller than me, but actually what a great quick learner he is. Apart yeah. from one, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> when, when I was doing the shooting in, in the Killing House, the one that was built out there. Yeah. It was, it was he, he, he just couldn't quite get all his feet right and stuff. Now, I know they're not going to see his feet, but it would help with his stance.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah.
1: And and it, it was like, Rusty, you know, it's, and he came up to me and he went, you know what, after all these years of ballet dance, I just can't qu-. I said, you know, he's a ballet dancer, wasn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, Billy in,
0: Elliot.
1: Uh, and I said, well, Jamie, it's, it's easy. Go back and do it again. So he went back and done it again. And I said, right, just remember this. Rusty don't effing dance, and he got it. He got it, and from that moment on, he got it. Yeah. And then it was a real pleasure to work with him, and he did really well. As he's, did the actors and the stuntmen. He's, he's a as fabulous well.
0: actor as well. I, yeah. I, I, I watched him in, um, is it uh, Turn, which is an Amazon Prime thing about the spies of Washington. He's brilliant oh. in that. But but in yeah. Six Days, and, I, I thought idea, I thought was he was to, fantastic.
1: He, he was ideal to train. Yeah. Very very quick learner, and I always said to him, you know, you don't have to be in the SAS. I'm just going to show you what you need to do. Mm. People aren't going to say if you done selection. They're not going to say that.
0: No 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 exactly. But you need to
1: have it right on the set, and he did. And the actors and the stunt men did really well, all of them.
0: Yeah, because that goes that goes a really long way. I'm, I'm not sure if you're you're similar to me when you watch a military movie and you're watching it and you're like, well. Well, that's bollocks. That's bollocks. Yeah. Who's that? Who's their technical advisor? That's shit. Like, yeah. I, I always use the example of the BBC show um, Our Girl, which you probably haven't seen. But I was watching that, and I was like, my my wife likes it, so she was watching it, and I couldn't, literally couldn't sit down and watch with her because she was like, "You're annoying me." Why are you? I went well for a start. Mert was a shunuk, not a fucking blackhawk. This is ridiculous.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's um. Yeah, it was, it was good fun making it. But okay. at the same time, I always knew my name was going to be alongside that film as yeah. the advisor. So I wanted it to be the best of the yeah, best. Of and it's had some great, great reviews. Um, and, you know, ha- what you put into it is what you get out of it, basically.
0: Exactly. And I'm not just saying this because you're on it, but hands down, I must have seen that movie Seven, eight times now, since since its <laughs> release. You've seen it I, more than
1: me, mate.
0: <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love it.
1: You've seen it more than me. That's what <laughs> I can say. Um but, It's it's
0: really good. But one thing I do want to quickly ask you, actually, as um as you know, when when I introduced myself, um the main reason of the podcast was to to guide me through my mental health issues and, and things like that, and the fact that I didn't have any sort of support when I left the military. <clears throat> But one thing I I was quite keen to ask you, actually, was after the siege on the embassy, were you guys given any sort of trim or any sort of, like, a bigger debrief to settle you guys down? Or was it just, you're done and crack on?
1: Oh, all we did was have a few beers. That was it. Um, They they didn't, look, they've never looked after the troops, okay, in my opinion, never. We were no different um and I don't know what it's like this day and age I've got no idea I don't keep tabs on them at all but actually no nothing yeah you know a couple of years later we're over in the Falklands and stuff like that you know it it just they just don't care you' just a, you're just a number an army number
0: yeah that that's that's how that's we all it. that's how that's we all, all you are yeah you still, come in
1: an army number and you leave as an army number that's it
0: yeah, yeah. Same 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 the these days as well Rusty. the reason why i asked is like that's a hell of a thing that you got even though it was only 11 minutes but obviously it's six days worth of planning you're getting yourself worked up ready to go you get the go 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 you clear it all in 11 minutes and then it's like right you're done Like, oh right what am i supposed to do with all this but like you said, sometimes, to be fair, sometimes just having a beer and a chat with the, with the lads down the pub, sometimes that does help.
1: And it but- does. I mean, you know, we were very – in my day, I, I, I say that because I don't keep tabs yeah, on what's yeah, yeah. going on now. They're very busy these days. Um, and it, we had a lot of time together where we are working every day in the type of training that we used to do is you know shooting every day in a killing house and stuff for six months um if if, it sharpens you up you can't be any better than that at the end of it yeah but at the end of the day when you finish it's always nice you know 10 of you 12 maybe 15 of you might be down in the pub uh just having a chat about things but letting off steam the next day you know you're back Doing yeah, the, back, the, back in stuff again, and very good at doing that, you know. You didn't get guys wandering around with hangovers and stuff like that. Not very often, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it when I was in Germany and stuff. I could see where it was probably going to end, um, and I, I opted out of that one. I went yeah. to the Commandos. Yeah,
0: because it's a, it's a um, functioning alcoholics. I think I've heard the term for. The British forces, um, especially well, back in the eighties, nineties as well. Um, yeah. E- well, even even when I was in from two thousand and eight, we used to go out on <laughs> we'd go out on a Wednesday and go. Well, Wednesday's pretty much Thursday, so Thursday's a yeah. new Friday. <laughs> <And it's> like, <laughs> just constantly on the piss, it was madness. But still, yeah. manage you'd go out on a on a Thursday, have a skin full, and still be up at ready for parade and ready to do a. 10 mile yeah. time in the morning. It's craziness. That's
1: it. that's it, mate. It's all in, it's all in here.
0: Couldn't couldn't do that now, that's Rusty. It. I had a couple of whiskies last night to celebrate. Well, it's my birthday uh, tomorrow. So um I had a few whiskeys last night. I woke up this morning and I thought, oh god. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Happy birthday, mate.
0: <laughs> cheers, mate, cheers, mate. Uh, but yeah. So you sort of um touch there that obviously the Falklands. I haven't actually spoken to anyone that's been to the Falklands in as in the Falklands War, not just for a jolly to look at some penguins and sheep. That, that yeah. was a, that's a crazy, crazy conflict war, whatever you want to call it, that doesn't get spoken about very much.
1: Well, the 14th anniversary is this, um, just about on us now. Started on the 2nd of April, 1982. It finished on the 14th of June, 1982. So it was a short conflict in reality. However, too many people died on it. Yeah. Um, we lost 19 in one helicopter accident. Um, 19 SAS guys, including a couple of attached signalers, which were 264. Yeah. Um, and that was just one, one accident. Now, in my book, I go into the one behind you there, the regiment, 15 years in the SAS. I go into, we had different jobs on it you know, the SAS I'm talking about. Yeah. Pebble Island, where they blew up all the aircraft. That wasn't us. Then they had the mainland, um, some of the guys on the mainland. And then they had our guys who went down, and we were going to attack mainland Argentina's airfield, Punta Gorda. And that's what we trained for, to land two C-130s down on the airfield at Punta Gorda, and then the damage that had been done um, by the Exocet missiles, everybody remembers them. Well, there was three Exocet missiles left. There was a fleet of um, Super Etendard aircraft that flew the Exocet, and um, and then our job was to go there, land on there, try and find the three remaining Exocets in case they did more damage get rid of them, blow up all the aircraft, and kill the pilots. That was it. That was our mission. That only got scrubbed right at the very end because there was a problem with guys that landed on the ground, the recce party. Plus, to some degree, the 19 guys had to be replaced. Yeah. And our squadron was there to replace them, so they came out eventually and we went in and took all their weapons and stuff off them. And we carried on to the end of the war. And, um, in a nutshell, that's what happened yeah. much more detail. It's called operation Mercado, Mikado. that was our operation. And again, uh, the prime minister, uh, Maggie Thatcher at the very end, decided that that plan would have been workable. But it would have been operation certain death it's it's all there we'd never yeah. have got back if we'd have done what we went there to do we were then going to have to escape and evade over the mountains into chile mm. that was it because chile were friendly yeah pinochet um he, they were friendly with the uk so we had a safe place to get to but eventually we found out there's thousands of troops around the airfield
0: oh yeah i bet yeah you yeah.
1: know i mean do me a favor um but we, we planned and we were going to go. We were going to go, um, and that was that, but yeah.
0: That's
1: and that's the mindset.
0: Yeah, that is a mindset, you know, because that, that's, it is a mindset. that is a crazy you know, mindset, you me, especially yeah, if you've basically been told it would have been called, like, like you said, Operation yeah. Certain Death, and you have to go, right, I'm going to have to put myself in this mindset.
1: You, you don't need the brain of a judge, mate. No. <laughs> to, S- to service before
0: self, I- as they say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, the Falklands, 40th anniversary coming up and we've got some stuff up here in New Brighton. Uh, they're gonna put a huge mural up on the wall very shortly. Nice. Uh, this is New Brighton up on the Wirral. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're gonna put a huge um, mural up there for people to see. And I've been in touch with certain Argentinians, certainly one of the pilots who was in charge. Yeah, um, who's one of the pilots we we're going to have to kill, by the way, and he knows that because he got in touch with me when he put the news out of the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he, he's he's been in touch with me and I haven't met him, but we've done Zoom meetings and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's one so. of
0: those, isn't it? A lot of people don't seem to realise that because they see it as we are British, we are Allied forces, we are the ones that are always in the right, etc., etc. But there's But there's two sides to war. Because obviously they're thinking the same thing.
1: They should never have been sent there. No, they shouldn't because, be, right. Because Galtieri was under so much pressure at the time. Hmm. What's the best thing to do? Start a war. Takes everything away from him. Yeah. It was just a waste. A waste of life. Yeah. They Definitely. were never going to win it. They were never going to win it. Um, and it's a shame that so many people in such a short conflict died.
0: Yeah. And again, like I, like I said, it's not really spoken about very much at all. Which is, yeah, it's like a like like you could say a bit like Korea, like the forgotten war. It's, madness. yeah,
1: well, it's in my book behind you, the regiment. Um, it's in there. It's um dedicated quite a bit to it.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, there are articles around. Um, but in the main, it wasn't a long one, but it was quite costly if you think about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, uh, good guys as
0: well. You know, um, it's just yeah. It's a shame with any any conflict or war. It's just yeah. Too many, too many perish in and go. It's or
1: well,
0: we'll come back and not the same.
1: That's it. But,
0: but like like we said, but then you're just a number at the end of the day, and you're set free. And they wonder why so many veterans are a little bit messed up, unfortunately.
1: Well, well it's, pain. It's, it, it's it's payback time to some degree because there's a lot of them now are thinking, you know, like the Northern Ireland veterans, which I'm on their side. Yeah. I'm a Northern Ireland veteran myself. And the guys that are being hounded 40 and 50 years on. Yeah, it's that's... Now Nowadays, if I was going to join the military, I'd take a look at that and say... Do I want to go and do what I've got to do for this country? Then come back and then years later, some clown that gives somebody like you know like Tony Blair,, yep. you know, the prime minister at the time, a Good Friday agreement, letters of comfort. Yeah, it's okay for him. What about the families of the yep. people from Northern Ireland? The guys some of them. Dennis Hutchins was a classic example, only just. You know, he went out there again. It had been cleared a few times already. They still wanted him out in Belfast to go back again. And the poor sod died out there before he could ever get back to his family. So, That's um, You know, where is that? What well, part of that is right? There is no part of it Exactly, right.
0: exactly. You know,
1: but they don't care. They're there to appease other people rather than look after their own. And yeah. it's the same with mental health. You know, I've met so many I'm a patron of four charities, okay? I'm paid. I don't get paid for them. I'm a patron of four charities, you know, and um, I work with amputees. I see people, you know, and I do it voluntary. Yeah. And, you know, they say that I help inspire them. Actually, they're the guys that uh,
0: inspire me. I agree with that
1: as well. Seriously. Um, And I'm just one of those people. But I see it on regular occasions, you know, and you think, what a waste! What a waste!
0: Yeah. But I'd 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 certainly be looking.
1: I'd be looking over my shoulder now before I ever joined, thinking, I don't want to have a family when I get back. I don't want a family that my kids are going to watch me get dragged through this.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and you can't say that's not going to happen because there's no insight. Yeah. Say they're trying to do anything about it. It's just a pile of lies. All of them.
0: It's just like starting
1: with Tony Tony Blair all the way down. They're liars. All of them.
0: I I 100 percent agree. And it even comes up to even the Iraq war now with the likes of Brian Wood, who got dragged through it all. And it's like, Jesus Christ, that man got a military cross for putting his life on the line. And you're dragging him through saying that he's committed war crimes. Fuck off.
1: Oh, Brian's a, a Brian's a, a friend of mine. He's, he's actually a patron for one of the charities I'm a patron for as well.
0: Yeah, he's
1: a... Um, top, yeah, top and coach. his story, I'm, I'm so glad that he got his story out in the yeah. end um, to let other people see just how bad this that we are at looking after our own. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. we'll give millions away to everybody. Yeah, take some more money, you know, take yeah. some more money, you lot. Know. It comes down to our guys. You have to beg, borrow, steal... Yeah. And it goes on.
0: It does. It does indeed. And it yeah, sickening with what they do. Yeah. But yeah, it starts with the, the fucking dickhead at the top that goes, right, you guys are going to war. And because we signed up, we go. And then it's us that's the ones that are
1: prosecuted for it. It's just beyond belief, mate. You know. And what they do is they then they then tell lies, don't they? Well, we're gonna fix this. We're going yeah. and then they don't. And then they put somebody else, like, oh, we'll have a reshuffle, we'll move the people around. <laughs> right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. It doesn't happen. They just sit down there, you know, Prime Minister's question time, have another beer, yeah. on, on the House, by the way, we'll pay for that. Oh yeah, of course. You know, the taxpayers, the taxpayers will pay for that. Let's have another one. Yeah, they don't do sod all down there, nothing. But whinge and wine throughout the day, that's it.
0: Yeah. You know? me, me, me and my brother have spoken about it before as well, because it seems that, with every government, every prime minister, they all seem to be from a very similar background. <laughs> all privately educated, all highly educated.
1: And... You get get a regular Joe all, in there. They've all been to the class of Billy Liar as oh, well. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, they love that. love one that. Of them. They're experts. Every one of them. <laughs> they got a doctorate in, in, in lying. Yeah. yeah.
1: But, but, yeah, they,
0: if you had a regular... A regular Joe, you might say, who's very switched on, is a man that comes from a working class background. If he decided to go into politics, he wouldn't get anywhere because they're like, nah, you sh- shush.
1: That's, that's the problem. Well, it would be nice if we had somebody that maybe serves some time in the military and understands yeah. it because they're not the public school boys with, you know, Yeah. Mouth, mouths that do everything, but they've got no understanding none at all about the real world you know because they've never none of them have sampled it or very very few shall i say have sampled it yeah but it it would be really nice to think you know that somebody who actually knew how the military operates rather than somebody who just pushes a button and says yep let's go yeah you know they don't do that they don't do that and that's where a lot of the problem is because um, their advisors are useless. Most of the advisors, you know, yeah. how many advisors does Boris Johnson have? Too many. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, even his wallpaper was crap in the end, but- you know,
0: <laughs> Yeah, um, yes. But, yeah. I, <laughs> I said the same thing to my wife. I was like, who is this interior designer? Cause they're shit. <laughs> Hello.
1: Yeah, it's me. Um, Hello, and pod-
0: just very quickly, I'll run you up podcast. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's all right. I was expecting a call, mate. You can cut that bit out, can't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's no, it's no problem anyway. You're all right.
1: <laughs> I did say 11 to 12, but yeah. Yeah,
0: um, we're almost. Ah, we're, right. we're good.
1: Yeah, it's. But,
0: yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I said it on a previous podcast. It's as though. Even when they do their address the nations and things like that, whoever it is, whether it's him or the health secretary or whoever, it's like, yeah. Are you guys going to have someone who's a regular person telling you not to say that because you're coming across like a right dick?
1: <laughs> I don't know, mate. You know, they should you just? It gets to a point where everything that goes on the mainstream media. Um, is what they want. It's not necessarily what yeah. you should be hearing. I, I, it's I they, agree. It's what they want. They want you to hear it, and then they'll put it on there. What you should be hearing is very often, as is the likes of what's going on in Ukraine and Russia now, you know, they even took RT off, didn't they? Yep. You know, the Russian um, station, they took it off the other day because they were telling the truth. And they took it off, gone. Yeah. Um, that's what but, I've, so that's, that's what I've really, said to my missus
0: all the time, mate. I'm like, don't watch the news. I mean, if you watch yeah. some BBC, ITV, or anything like that, they're just telling you one side. Don't watch that. When you're probably yeah. better off going on Instagram and or or Facebook, and you'll probably get a more truthful account from from someone. I, fo- yeah. I follow a guy who's a a press officer over there at the minute. He's um, former Royal Marine. And uh, I sent him a message. I went, everything all right? He went, yeah, there's a few contacts going about, but we're all right at the minute. It's like, you know, go one.
1: Yeah, it's, you, you know, you need to have at least two faces to be in this game. Yeah. You know, at least. Most of them have got more than that. But actually, you need at least two faces, mate.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, because they're all a bunch of liars. Nine out of ten of them are a bunch of liars, mate. That means the one that's left over doesn't get much of a say. Yeah, he doesn't get a say on him.
0: Yeah. Simple as that. Because he'll he'll say the truth and they'll they'll shush him away, or unfortunately, he'll uh, do something and he'll be um, asked to resign for whatever reason.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 100%. That's the case, mate. That's where we are. Yeah. Uh, It's not likely to change that I can see No, No, in the foreseeable future. It'd be nice to have somebody that you could look at to and respect, the yeah the last one I did was Mrs. Thatcher. that was the last one that I could respect as far yeah. as prime ministers go yeah you know um, and it is scary yeah
0: well i was That's I was always are. unsure with with Boris because three i was I was always unsure with Boris because I always thought he was going to be what he said he was going to be, yeah. you know I was a bit wet behind the ears, and then obviously he's not what he said he was going to be. And he's like, oh,
1: you're um, literally like the rest of them. But isn't it nice that we didn't get um, Corporal Corbin in?
0: Yes, 100%. Yeah.
1: I mean, could you imagine? Could you just imagine Corporal Corbin? I no.
0: try I try not to. No,
1: no, <laughs> no, no way, mate.
0: No, no way. 100%. 100%. So when you, um, when you left the regiment, did you go into security work or anything like that like most do cp and and whatnot
1: oh i've done it yeah i've done all that work they call it the circuit really it, yeah it's, it's that's, what, that's what my dad calls
0: it yeah the circuit
1: it's a it's a progression of leaving the forces. nine out of ten guys that i know go on the circuit sign up for all the the major players you know the um, companies yeah. um security in particular and wait for phone calls that's what a lot do and i was no different
0: yeah.
1: Um, so I've, I've done cp work i've done surveillance i've done all sorts of jobs since i left yeah um you know all because of what i've done in my background Yeah, it's quite you know, an easy them-
0: transition isn't it to go from yeah. from because yeah. i did, I, did yeah. I went on normal security that's what i do now i'm a security manager now um for, for a site but before that i did um i did surveillance work which was which was pretty good i, I targeted um benefit cheats that was yeah. my that was my main one. That was, that was a lot of fun to do. <laughs> yeah. Catching them out. Yeah, know
1: I've done it all over the world, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 when I came out, it was the right thing for me to do. Yeah. Um, and again, um, I wouldn't really swap it. I might have changed the way I did certain things, but it was a, a way of getting to see places I'd probably never get to see. Yeah, I don't know. What have I been in? 120, 130 countries. I don't know. A exactly.
0: lot. It's a lot of traveling. Yeah. Man yeah. of the world. Man of the world. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I, I think yeah, I might well, have read on your. I didn't um, believe Yeah, I think I, I think I might have read on your um your, on your website. You, did you do something with Braveheart? Were you security for yeah. Mel Gibson or was it
1: Mel Gibson? Yeah, Mel Gibson. Um, he came over in the early 90s um, and I got a call of a friend of mine down in um, Queen Street, j p Security, he's not there anymore. And he used to be in the regiment. He said, I've got a job for you if you want it. I said, what is it? He said, um, they're making a film called Braveheart. I said, oh, what's that? <laughs> um, he, said, he said, Mel Gibson's in it. I said, oh, I know Mel Gibson, I like him. He said, I'd like you to go up there if you like. And... Um, the set was at the bottom of Ben Nevis. Oh, really? Um, but he had his wife and five of his six children with him. And they were 10 miles from the set. Um, because They didn't want paparazzi anywhere near them and all that oh, yeah, type yeah, of yeah. stuff. So it was the mixture of going down to where the set was and trying to keep an eye on his family and keeping them out the paparazzi's eye because they didn't know where, where they lived. Yeah. But surely they could have found out if they really wanted to. But that—that that was a, one of the one of the better early jobs. Actually, it was just yeah. up and down to Scotland. Um, spend I can't remember was it two weeks or, and then swap over with somebody, let him do that, and then go back. You know, you know, r- rotation. Yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, it was a bit of fun. Um, not long hours, because he was directing and he was yeah, because he yeah, he did a pretty much all film. of it,
0: didn't
1: he? Yeah. Yeah, he did both of it. So. Let's say you started at five in the morning. By the time they've seen the rushes at night, that's the filming they've done through the day. It might be 11 o'clock midnight before they get back home. It's the same the next day and the same yeah. the next day. And it's just like I've <laughs> been on Selection. You, it's a, <laughs> long it's yeah. a long day. It's a long day. You know, you've done it before. And we had the first... <laughs> Remember when the, when the um, mobile phones came out? Yeah, yeah. Right. The Motorola, right, was about that big.
0: Yeah.
1: And it had a whip antenna about yeah. that big. Yeah. Out the window of the car, you know, you were the dogs. You know, you really were because you had the Motorola, you know. Um, and that was one of the very, very first um, type of mobile phones that came out, but we had them, yeah. um, you know. So it was, <laughs> yeah. But you needed two hands to work it. You know what I mean? It's um, <laughs> <is> that big. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, good days.
0: It's like it's like the sat phones that they that you got yeah. even when you're on tour, was like that. Yeah. Because well, we were always told, uh, obviously, you're in you're in theatre. You can't take your mobiles with you because they can yeah. they can um, hack your phone and and get all your details, send messages to your kids and wife and whatnot. Now, I always thought, how are they doing that in a mud hut? Because that's incredible. But they were like, no, you can have your, use your sat phone, fucking like this. Just like Jesus.
1: Yeah, God. that's it. Yeah.
0: Try and phone the wife, yeah. and it would cut out halfway through. Like fuck's sake.
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah, anyway, that's awesome. That's awesome. But to be fair, mate, I know you're a busy man. You have got lots to lots to get on. But I just want to <laughs> really, really say how much i enjoyed the, this this chat and it's always it's an honor and a privilege to have you on
1: well, let me know when it's going out
0: yeah i will i will
1: send it, me it, a li- send me a link or something or yeah
0: it, it doesn't take me long to get the editing done and 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 get it out it usually takes yeah. not long at all the the beauty well, of zoom that is it does it all for you
1: <laughs> yeah. oh no i know yeah
0: but, yeah but um, mate but genuinely me- Thank you very much for coming on. It's, it really has been a privilege to have you on.
1: Well, thanks very much and say hi to the old man.
0: I will do. I will do.
1: Um, <laughs> and tell him he still owes me a beer.
0: Uh, I will. <laughs> well, he's still he's still in Hereford. So next time you're in there, I'll tell him to... Uh, I'll
1: be up there I'll be up there shortly again. And yeah. My two sons are there.
0: So. Oh, brilliant. Well, my whole right, family's Sean, up thanks there. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, Rusty. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Cheers, thanks buddy. Bye. Well, oh, look at that—a living legend himself, Rusty Furman coming on the on the podcast. A fucking huge honor for me. I was I was saying to the other day to to people that having someone like Rusty is like having a huge movie star on for for regular people, a celebrity on. In the military world, Rusty Furman is, is up there. He's fucking he's up there. You know, a man with no gloves. In he goes, the Iranian embassy, 1980. Fucking madness. You know, it, it's a shame that is one of his best mates, um, John McAleese, isn't alive, because he'd be another one that would be an absolute honour to have on. But thank you all for, for listening. Thank you all for sending out the birthday messages for the for the podcast. It's been three years and still a journey. We're still going. But, yeah. Finally, we got it done. The birthday episode. It's only taken us four attempts to get us on. But it's done. Winning. Big shout out to Kent CBD. Obviously, fueling me with my CBD needs. But as they always say in the regiment, per ardua, through adversity. I'm Tomo and I'm out.